Good afternoon, everyone. We're just about to get underway, so if you could please take your seats. Just doing some final cleanup. The room is fantastic today. It has been a full season of Canadian Club events, and this is one of the fullest that I've seen in this room, and the energy level is just uh, outstanding. So thank you for being here with us. My name is Joseph Lowe, President of Canadian Club Toronto, and I am pleased to be your host as well as your moderator today. I'd like to uh, first extend a warm welcome to those of you joining us online. Thanks to uh, our partnership with the AV services of Van Valkenburg Communications and LiveMeeting.ca. Uh, Today's event is due in part to the generous event sponsorship provided by RBC Capital Markets, PwC, and EY. We're also deeply grateful to our season sponsor, Canadian Bankers Association, for its support throughout the season and our ongoing partnership with both Air Canada and Canada's Forest Trust. These BCE and Bell Canada's leadership role in our economy is truly undisputed. Its president and CEO has been, a vocal, has been vocal that bold investments in small and rural communities will help fuel our economic prosperity as well as our competitiveness as a country. Now, what would you like to know about Bell's strategy, its purpose, and its investment plans for the future for a bolder and more competitive future? I invite you to use the Q&A cards that you'll find at your tables. Uh, we will come around collect them and get them to me at the front. And if you are joining us online, hit the submit a question button as always on the right-hand side of your screen, and we'll get your questions that way as well. At this time, it's my honor to introduce to you Mr. Dave Mackay, President and CEO of RBC, to introduce our special guest of the day. Well, good afternoon. It is so great to be back in this room and look over a very, very full room. I think a record attendance, which speaks to the importance of our, our topic and uh, the importance of, of today's speaker. Uh, this forum, when you talk about the Canada Club and getting together, is a place to share ideas, to hear senior leaders uh, talk through what we need to do as a society. And I just can't reinforce how important it is to, to inspire and to come together. So thank you so much for, for being here today and hearing this important message. We certainly believe that uh, RBC and Capital Markets were in the business of uh, making ideas happen, and we're very, very proud to support uh, today's event. I've often said, and I know uh, Miracle feels this way too, a company is only as strong as the strength of its clients and communities that we serve. And this is core to our business and our culture at RBC, and we strive to make progress towards a more inclusive, sustainable, and progressive future. So today we're going to hear from a leader that understands the big economic and societal challenges in front of our country today. And more importantly, is bringing forward ideas and solutions to address them. He's someone who shares my view that business leaders across every sector of our economy cannot act independently and expect to make progress on some of the fundamental challenges we're facing. This includes building more inclusive workplaces, tackling our mental health crisis, and growing mental health crisis post-pandemic, and helping make the transition, critical transition, to a low-carbon economy. At a time when disparity and divisions in our society are deepening, our keynote speaker believes that we need to bring together businesses, governments, and individuals across not only geographies, 
but multiple generations. And this is exactly what Mirko Bibic is trying to make happen every day in our communities across the country. Mirko became President and Chief Executive Officer of BCE and Bell in January 2020, just a few short months before the pandemic disrupted our world. Can you think of a more challenging time to take over one of the toughest jobs CEO of a very large company? And he'll speak to us today, and what he'll speak to us about is very much shaped by the impact of this global shock and the way it changed the way many live and work across our country. He'll talk to us about the huge opportunities Canada can seize if we can find ways to better connect our communities, namely the hundreds of smaller ones that have too often been unable to live up to their economic potential. Mirko believes Canada needs to think bigger and turn our great ideas into growth and innovation that can scale beyond our borders. Business leaders, entrepreneurs, and next generation innovators across this great country should have the ambition to be the best in the world at what they do, and they shouldn't have to be based in a major city centre to pursue those, those aspirations. I believe inclusive economic opportunity is achievable, even in a country of our size. But as Mirko says, we'll need private and public sectors working together to build those digital bridges and connection and opportunity for all Canadians. And as he so accurately puts it, your postal code should not determine your future. So before we invite him to take the stage, I do want to acknowledge that I've had the great privilege to work with Mirko over the past year on the RBC board. Uh, and our time together on the board and getting to know him as a leader within our business community, I can say I, he thinks long-term. He is incredibly dedicated to his team his approach to leadership is rooted in such a strong sense of purpose. I can tell you at the board he asks the tough questions and he gets right to the root of issues very, very quickly. But he does so in a way that acknowledges the challenges that we face in leading in a very complex world. And I think it's never been harder to lead at the government level, uh, the community level, and the business level when we face so many technology challenges, so many geopolitical, ideological challenges, and Merkel handles those all so, so very, very well. In addition to his work at Bell and RBC, Merkel also serves on the boards of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and the Business Council of Canada. He's a relentless advocate for youth mental health and wellness, and he's co-chair of the Kids Help Phone Campaign, which is saving and changing the lives of young people in every corner of our country. It's a real honor to be able to introduce him to the stage, which I know will be insightful, impactful conversation. So without further ado, please welcome Mirko Bibic. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Dave, for those warm words and the warm welcome. And I echo Dave's comments on the Canadian Club and the importance of what it does to provide a forum like this so we can all get together and talk about critical issues that affect Canada's success today and in the future. So Dave mentioned that I became CEO of BC and Bell Canada in January 2020. Uh, it's actually my first 
business speech of this nature in the city of Toronto. So three and a half years later, a few things got in the way. I would have wanted to do this earlier, uh, but it's, I think it's long overdue. Hopefully in about 15 minutes, you'll agree with me. Um, time, time goes by. So Bell Canada, it's a 143 year old company this year, and we've always delivered for Canadians, but today's different. It really is. Today we operate in a faster paced industry that provides the latest technologies to consumers and businesses on an unprecedented scale. Today we're drivers, well we've always been drivers of communications, we're drivers of information, we're drivers of entertainment, and we're enablers of innovation as we've never been before. So again, back to the concept of time. In the past six weeks, just the past six weeks alone, Bell joined forces with Air Canada to help Canadians stay connected on the ground and up in the skies. We're carving a position in cloud-focused technology solutions with the acquisition of FX Innovation. FX is a Montreal-based company that specializes in professional and managed services for cloud and workflow automation solutions. And with this acquisition, what we'll be able to do is assist our business customers, hopefully, many of you in your own journeys to the cloud and your own digital transformation initiatives. And in the past six weeks, on the Bell Media side, we reached a new agreement with Warner Brothers Discovery to ensure that the only made in Canada streaming service, Crave, continues to deliver the premium HBO and international content that our audiences love. So that's just the past six weeks. And meanwhile, as time goes by, each and every day, we continue to deploy pure fiber internet across the GTA and in smaller centers, including Essex Center, Harrow, Leamington, and Lincoln right here in Southern Ontario. And it's this last point that's particularly important, it's at the crux of what I wanna share with you today. And the question is this, and then Dave teed it up. How, how best can we ensure consumers and businesses in smaller communities benefit from the opportunities provided by broadband networks that are world's, you know, world-class, frankly, best in the world. And when I say that, I honestly, I'm really not exaggerating. Because at Bell, building the best networks, driving innovation, and delivering the most compelling content all align with our fundamental corporate purpose, which is advancing how Canadians connect with each other and the world. And there are two fundamental principles at the heart of how we operate today. And Dave, you also teed this up. First, the interests of customers and communities are central to everything we do. And second, while of course it's always important when you're running a business to focus on today and to drive immediate needs, we're also focused on ensuring the long-term sustainable growth, whether for your business or organization, for our business, or for the communities we all serve together. And these principles are inextricably linked, right? Customers and communities first and investing not only for the short term, for the long term, those are inextricably linked because every investment we made is good for our existing customers, but you also need to make sure that it's good for future generations. And for us, for our business at Bell, it starts with making the best possible networks and solutions available to as many customers as possible, regardless of where those customers are located. And on that, there's a growing recognition of the need to generate more economic growth and more opportunities in communities outside Canada's major urban centers. And I wanna add my voice and Bell's voice to this important conversation. In recent years, 
Acknowledgement of place-based disparities has led to the creation of federal and provincial broadband funding programs. Now, the provincial programs, I'd say particularly right here in, in Ontario, are leveraging private sector investment really well and combining that with public funding to reach underserved regions fast and efficiently. However, according to a report from the Auditor General of Canada, which was released this past March, federal programs really aren't operating as efficiently as we would hope and frankly not as efficiently as they should be. And that means that pace, not just place, becomes an issue. And I'm concerned with the shift underway towards more micromanagement of Canada's telecom industry by government and regulators. And this includes suggestions that state-of-the-art networks built with billions in private investment should be available for third-party resale at heavily discounted, non-commercial, and at times even below cost rates, which in the real world, as you all know, makes investment decisions far more difficult than they ought to be, and in cases, some cases, frankly, just impossible to justify. Now, on the surface, I, like I, I listen to my, my words, and on the surface, I recognize that some of this sounds like industry inside baseball, but it should be, and it, it frankly is important to all of us, and the reason straightforward, because ongoing investment in communications networks is critical to our future, and we need public policies that encourage more investment, not less. And it's critical as Bell looks forward to bringing investment, jobs, and possibility to every community, large and small, urban and rural, so that we can help diminish the relevance of a community's postal code on its economic future. And we released a public um, a policy paper recently, and it points out that somebody, someone who grows up in Thunder Bay or in Owen Sound or in Brockville or in Pembroke or pick your community should be able to fulfill their dreams and aspirations from right there in those communities should they choose just like anyone can who grows up in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver. Now, I'm going to share some basic facts that you all know already. I know you all know these at least intuitively. Nine in ten Canadians lives within 160 kilometers of our border with the U.S. and the vast majority of Canadians live and work in our largest metropolitan centers. And in Canada and around the world, we all know, more new jobs are being created in those large cities than elsewhere. And all in our cities, including Toronto, are focal points of commercial activity and clusters for investment, for talent, for learning, for finance, administration, creativity, innovation, and on and on. And that's good, obviously. But we shouldn't forget that across the country, we also have many smaller communities that can, and I believe will, and frankly should, contribute to a stronger future for all of us. And we have many opportunities right now to move away from place-based disparities to place-based diversity, to build more vibrant economies in those large and small and urban and rural areas, and to strengthen every community using the digital networks and tools that Bell is building. So we can move towards location-independent business and development models and diminish, again, the impact of one's postal code on professional dreams and outcomes. And there are a lot of factors that are currently at play which I think supports this shift. First, the generation of ideas versus only the production of goods from generations past is increasingly important to economic growth. There's the high cost of 
housing in major urban areas, which now makes living in smaller communities more attractive to many. And we've certainly been through three and a half very difficult years where we've shown that we can adopt flexible work arrangements and technology tools and continue to stay connected and work together from a distance. So those are just three pretty important factors, but I think it's time to harness those factors to overcome place-based disparities. And you do that by using the broadband solutions that the communications industry, not just Bell, but the entire communications industry is making more widely available. And we can do this because we really are, as an industry, very different from what we once were. We can now help to build more sustainable local economies using state-of-the-art networks and technologies across the country, not just in our large cities. And what makes that work is fiber and 5G wireless, where we're taking data, information, and entertainment to new heights, to heights that not that long ago would have seemed pretty fantastical. So thinking about things like new advances in automation, machine learning, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, all these things that make us work better, you cannot do unless you have the most advanced broadband networks available to you. So some examples just to, just to make it real. Imagine using virtual reality, VR, to replicate working conditions in the field, like the characteristics and features of where a job assignment is physically taking place, how the components and parts best fit together, and how to use all those tools to perform the work in a very safe manner, regardless of the environment. At Bell, we're doing exactly this today. We're training more of our fiber-to-the-home technicians through the simulation of real-life working conditions. And imagine now, for a second, just how similar advanced applications would benefit remote learning, remote health care, and businesses in smaller communities. Or picture using general-purpose robots programmed using AI to perform repetitive tasks to provide retailers with greater capabilities in packing, sorting, cleaning, and that sort of thing. This is also happening right now, and it's being demonstrated by Canadian innovator Sanctuary AI based in Vancouver, and they did it as part of a successful trial with Canadian Tire. And, you know, I can give you more examples. Small wireless sensors that monitor temperature, humidity, barometric pressures within a local microclimate, or you can track tools, cargo loads, and vehicles in real time. So, you know, these kinds of sensors help us become more efficient today but also make us more resilient tomorrow. And again, all this is made possible by our industry's consistent and massive investments in advanced networks. So bear with me as I now turn to Bell's investments in the last few years. So in 2020, Ken just becomes CEO and COVID hits us. But the important point is at that time, Bell did not put the brakes on investment with the onset of COVID. We actually did the exact opposite. We leaned in and we ramped up because we recognized there was a need, like all of you, to continue supporting Canadians with better broadband. So for us, it was building better broadband and higher quality wireless. So what we did is we accelerated our investments, as I said, in 2020, 2021, and 2022, over those three years, we invested $14 billion in capital. Uh, and the focus was more fiber and more wireless 
in smaller communities across Atlantic Canada, Manitoba, Quebec, the Northern Territories, and right here in Ontario. And because of those accelerated investments over that three-year period, we made fiber available to an additional 2.6 million homes and businesses in the areas where we operate. We operate with wireline infrastructure from Manitoba all the way to the East Coast. So because of this investment, 2.6 million additional locations have access to fiber. Because of this investment, we've hired an average of 2,000 new technicians each of those years, so an average of 2,000 in each of those three years. These are the folks in the white vans with the Bell logo who install your lines and repair your lines. 40% of those people are newcomers to Canada who secure high-paying jobs. So in 2023 now, we'll build fiber to an additional 650,000 locations. And the vast majority of, uh, of these deployments are funded by Bell shareholders. And what we're doing with that, when I keep talking about fiber, it's Bell Fiber Internet, and we're delivering reliable speeds multiple times faster than what our competitor, cable competitors offer. We're providing the same download and upload speeds. The speeds we offer are the fastest in North America. Again, I'm not exaggerating leading Wi-Fi solutions, and all of these things are important competitive differentiators for us and more reasons for all of you to use Bell if you aren't already. Um, so that's fiber. And if we go to wireless now for a second, our 5G wireless service is available today to 85% of, uh, will be available to 85% of Canadians at the end of the year. I'm getting six months ahead of myself. And at the end of the year, we'll have 5G plus available to 45% of Canadians now. 5G plus, we're already in the second generation of 5G, which is pretty remarkable when you think that in January of 2020, 5G wireless did not even exist. So it's pretty remarkable accomplishments in my view, um, particularly if you think about Canada's population density. In G7 countries, excluding Canada, the average population density is 200 people per square kilometers. In Canada, it's four. And on top of this, Based on the most recent CPI data, while in inflation pushed prices for all goods and services up more than 4% overall during the past year, wireless prices went down 8% over the past two years and almost 25% since January of 2020. So that's a huge decline. So here we are in Canada. We've got four well-capitalized wireless and wireline competitors. All of us are operating on a national or near national basis. So that's more national competitors that we have in Canada, country with the lowest population density. We have more national competitors than the US, Germany, Australia, Finland, South Korea, and if I had more time, I'd give you a longer list. Um, so look, the presence of four large, well-capitalized competitors and other regional competitors really is a testament to the tremendous ability of our industry to address the challenges our demographics and geography pose. And this progress goes completely against the pre prevailing but false narrative. The reality is we've got the most robust communications landscape than most countries. And it's significant progress, really is. But despite having spent the last few minutes you know, talking about all the progress we've made, I do acknowledge that there's far more to be done. And uh, you know, we've got to get at it. How do we diminish the impact, again, of where people live and work on their economic future? So how do we change it? 
How do we make more progress? How do we negate the impact of a postal code on a community's social and economic well-being? So, five recommendations for you. First, governments need to create conditions that encourage private investment. It's pretty obvious for this room, I know, but you know, public policy that incentivizes investment in critical infrastructure is essential to Canada's economy and prosperity. And broadband is the backbone of our nation's digital well-being. Sometimes I worry that we too often take it for granted, and, and we really shouldn't. So again, in, tw in the 2023 federal budget, there were signs generally that the government uh, gener you know, recognizes the importance of private sector investment to building critical infrastructure, not just telecom infrastructure, critical infrastructure, in a time frame and at a scale that secures our digital future, yet paradoxically, our industry is quite highly regulated and we appear to be moving rapidly towards even more intervention. So again, I talked about this earlier, but our regulators telling us that we have to give access to the new networks that our people, our partners, and our capital are building, and they're telling us the rates we have to charge for that access, and that's not how a competitive market should be regulated. Certainly doesn't strengthen the quality or resiliency of the networks and services you all rely on, and it doesn't support better connectivity or equal opportunities for smaller communities. It actually gen does the opposite. It generates market uncertainty and makes investment decisions more difficult. And, you know, I talked about the 2.6 million additional locations earlier. Actually, where we operate, there are 12.5 million locations. So we want to connect all of these locations with fiber. Right now, we're about 7.2 million of those 12.5 locations have access to fiber. There's 4 to 5 million left. It's those four to five million that I actually really worry about. So to ensure more investment that better connects smaller communities, and many of those, many, many of those four to five million left are smaller communities, we have to encourage companies like ours to continue invest, investing. And a good example of how public policy can and should encourage investment is the Accelerated Investment Incentive, which was introduced by the federal government in 2018. It's a policy that plays no favorites, doesn't select which companies will benefit, just allows anybody who invests to deduct more of their capital costs in the first year of the investment cycle. And that program played a meaningful part in accelerating our investments in smaller communities in the areas where we operate. And it's important, right, because many smaller communities are too large to benefit from government subsidy programs, but too small to justify the massive capital investments we need to make to connect them. So it's a bit of a dilemma there. So we'd urge the federal government to extend that program be beyond its 2024 sunset date. So second, we recommend that targeted government subsidy programs be continued. In the broadband space, these subsidy programs, again, are critical to connecting remote areas where there's no viable business case for private sector investment alone to do the job. And, as I mentioned earlier, there was that Auditor General of Canada report that identified major delays in getting funding out the door. There's $2.4 billion of federal funding available in the 2022-2023 fiscal year, yet only 40% of that money's gone out the door. So $2.4 billion would connect a lot of locations. So we need to maintain subsidy programs, but we need to figure out a way to get more efficient in deploying those funds. So recommendation number three, 
Collective responsibility. We have a collective responsibility to establish productive partnerships with Indigenous-led groups. And these communities face complex challenges, and those challenges are made more acute by the reality of place-based disparities. At Bell, we're adopting greater outreach and consultation because we want to strengthen our working relationship with Indigenous communities. You know, we need to do more. We're going to do more. And one example of what we're doing, it's a project that's currently underway. It's with uh, Grand Council Treaty Number 3 in Northwestern Ontario. And we're partnering with them to connect about 4,000 households with fiber in over 20 Indigenous communities. And we'll have that done by 2025. Fourth recommendation, more private and public partnerships to develop technology solutions. And I'll give you an example of what we're doing. We're, uh, one good example is uh, a project we have going on with, with Western University. And we've created an advanced 5G research center together. And we're trying to turn the campus into a living lab that will help build smarter cities and communities through 5G capabilities and Internet of Things technologies. And it's something that we, we should seize the opportunity to do more of this across the country, which brings us to my fifth recommendation, more immigration, particularly more immigration in our smaller communities. And uh, there's, an in, there's a strategy we, we like very much, we point to as a model, it's the study and stay program in Atlantic Canada, which encourages growing numbers of international students to remain in communities across the region after they studied in that region. So those are five recommendations. I mean, I don't think these steps alone will eliminate the impact of place-based disparities, but they certainly will help. And again, feeding from what you said in the intro, Dave, it's, you know, our communities would benefit from a more holistic and consistently applied government policy framework and that all of us, governments, businesses and communities must work together to address the challenges they face. So, I'm confident that Canada's business community, including most of you here today, recognize what's possible when we encourage the investments that's important in all of our communities, particularly with technology. My hope is that Canadian policymakers see the same reality and that they see the same potential as we do. Certainly extremely proud of what the Bell team's accomplishing right here in Ontario and of course across the country. We're replacing the copper wires of yesteryear with future-proof fiber. We're offering more choices and more control to customers which makes it easier for them to do business with us and actually makes it easier for them to do business with all of you in this room as well. We're helping to make Canada's unique geography less of a factor in determining future prosperity and success. And yes, there's always more work to do, but as we advance how Canadians connect with each other in the world, I'm confident all of us here today share a similar view of the importance of seizing opportunities to grow and, grow and expand all of our businesses our organizations and the communities we all live and work in and these are communities across the country large and small thank you for taking the time and for your patience merci Thank you. Um, Mirko, thank you, uh, thank you for your remarks uh, this afternoon and, 
And uh, let me take the opportunity to thank you for joining us here at the Canadian Club for your first, um, we'll, we'll call this place a place as well, kind of Toronto-based uh, <laughs> remarks. So thank you so much. Um, maybe uh, members and guests, uh, whether you're online or joining us here in the room, a reminder to, to send your questions up. We do have a few minutes remaining for a question period, and we'd love to uh, field some of those directly from the audience. Um, as they're doing that, Mirko, maybe yep. we can just start off um, back to the crux of, of, of your argument around place-based disparities and uh, your clarion call to, to government and regulators. Um, what would you see um, as, as the right place and approach from a government and private sector perspective to strike the right balance in order to deliver on the, uh, I think, the opportunity that you illustrated for us? Yeah, I think uh, you know, when you get into, you know, when you get into the details of, of how our industry operates and how public policy plays a role, um, I think we get bogged down with a lot of historical baggage. So what I would say is, let's park and put aside arguments we may have had in 2008 and 2015 about prices and competitiveness, et cetera, and just say, okay, right now, right now, what's going on? Right now we have the four, two telcos, two traditional telcos, two more traditional cable codes who are large and have national scale and it's the type of competitive environment that perhaps we didn't have in the past. But again, what's the point of comparing it to 2008? There's no point. Today we have tremendous amount of competition and look at kind of just prices, for example. I went back and I looked at wireless prices on certain plans in 2019. If you, today, if you look at what you can get today in the form of a wireless plan, you can get the double, double the data for half the price compared to only 2019. So um, what I would say to go back to your, uh, your question, Joe, is let's park all the baggage from 2008, 15, 19, focus on today. So what we should be doing is creating, that's what the speech really, create an environment where the four players will continue to have incentives to invest massively, and investing massively is what, allow, what allows us to differentiate ourselves competitively from each other, and by definition, that just leads to more customer value. That's great, and so maybe double-clicking on that a little yeah. bit with this new environment moving forward with a four, fourth national wireless carrier. Um, what is Bell's position kind of on this new competitive environment and kind of how, how the industry is now shaken out from, from today forward? How do you view your marketplace competitive set differently than in the past? Oh, I think uh, to start to answer your question, how do I view the competitive environment? I think it's only, it's, it's only good. For, start for with it's the best outcome for consumers. More competition drives more value. Uh, what we want to do is we want to continue to invest to, again, go back to my theme, to differentiate ourselves from our competitors, but there comes a point where um, if government is too interventionist, all of us are going to have to scale back those investments, which is not good for consumers and businesses, and it's the standard thing. Like If, if you got to start cutting back on capital, what gets cut first? Does the GTA get cut first, or does some northern community in Ontario get cut first? We know the answer to that. And that's, that's kind of where you, um, you, know, you, you pull on one thread and be, 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 be careful of the unintended consequences. So how I view the competitive environment is that it's, uh, 
fundamentally good for consumers. It should be, that competition will be a driver for more investment. Let's not put brakes on that through misguided public policies. That's, that's very, very helpful. Um, maybe reeling it back to your comment earlier on the, given the, some of the price comparisons mm -hmm. and, and the research that, that you've done, that Bell has done, what would you say to critics, because I think we hear about this in, in water cooler conversation, who argue that internet prices and cell phone prices are, are, are too high in a day and age where, uh, as you've argued, broadband access is critically important to competitiveness. Yeah. Why, why do people talk, continue to talk about that? Look, again, uh, I don't, <laughs> you can get kind of you know, cheeky in your response and say, we've all been in the US, right? But service is terrible. Uh, so there is there is a quality dimension to it, but but if you get down to too too often the prevailing narrative is based on the studies that are uh, by definition create these average baskets of goods so that there's some semblance of trying to compare prices across the world, but the baskets of goods don't actually reflect what people are buying today. So I'll give you I'll give you a good example, which is the way I try to explain it. If you try to construct an average basket just by looking on the rat rake on, rack rate on a provider's website, you get a completely distorted picture of what consumers are actually paying. Because very few consumers pay the rack rate, number one. But number two, if you do the study in February, you're not capturing what consumers are paying in the back half of the year. And most sales in the wireless industry, the majority, when I say most, I mean the majority of sales happen back to school, Black Friday and the holiday period. So, and, and, and that's when all the pricing promotions take place. Um, and again, like I said, today, today you're getting double the data for half the price than you did in 2019. So you can try to compare an inferior, you know, pricing in Canada compared to an inferior network in some other country and you're not really reflecting what's going on today. So given the level of investment that you've talked mm -hmm. about, the 14 billion since, since COVID, just, just in Bell, let alone the industry at large, um, how do you balance the consumer need for competitive and lower prices with, with uh, returns for, for Bay Street as well? How do, you, how do you square that? How do you square that circle? Well, I think you can, I mean, it's imperative on, on, on all, certainly it's imperative on F to continue to, if we're gonna keep pace with the competition, continue to deliver what consumers want, you obviously, you know, need to adjust, so again, you invest to differentiate yourselves, but if prices keep going down, you also have to make sure that you operate the most efficient organization you possibly can. And there's a lot of things that swing in our, our way on, on kind of cost efficiency. So the more fiber we build, actually, the more cost efficient we get, because fiber, fiber's 40%, you know, we, we drive 40%, our sales and service costs are 40% less where we have fiber compared to where we don't, right? So as we build more fiber, we get more competitive, but we also get more cost efficient. So that allows you to keep bringing prices down, remain competitive while generating a return for your investors. But what you can't control for is that exogenous shock of, a, of an aggressive government intervention which can disrupt what I just said. And then you gotta make different kinds of trade-offs, like those, and not to repeat myself, but I will, like the trade-offs are, okay, if I've got a, that marginal dollar of capital, where do I put it? Of course I'm gonna put it in the GTA, GMA, GVA, because um, that's where all the population is. Uh, but that's not what I wanna do. I wanna, you know, we want as an organization to connect all 12 and a half million locations that I talked about in our operating territory. Thank you. Maybe let's, let's turn our attention to, um, uh, one of the other 
important tenants and important business units in, in Bell's ecosystem, uh, media. Mm -hmm. um, can you discuss government's role in, in, in that industry and how is your perspective any different? Well, it depends. <laughs> so, so the issue on the media industry is, you know, the, the media industry globally is undergoing um, some pretty important shocks uh, right now, right? The, technolo the shift in technology has fundamentally disrupted legacy media companies. So we all have to, uh, to adjust to that, including ourselves, but that, that's on us to do. Um, we're now in the, like, this should be a, a time-limited thing, but we're in the middle of an advertising recession, which just kind of compounds the issue. But, but back to kind of government's role, all we ask for is a level playing field, so same rules for all. So when you have global streaming giants who are in this country, and just to put it in context for you, there's about $17 billion spent in Canada each and every year on advertising. About $12 billion of that $17 billion is digital advertising, and 95% market share with Google, Facebook, and a couple of the other larger uh, global players. They get to operate in Canada with no regulatory rules. Meanwhile, you know, we have to operate, not just Bell, but Bell Media and other Canadian content companies have to operate under a completely different set of rules, which were built in 1993 and earlier. And so what we would ask for from government is, okay, either if, you, if I want to be consistent with what, I, what I've spent 45 minutes talking about, which is less government intervention, fine, then remove the intervention on us so we can compete on a level playing field. If it's important for different public policy reasons to have a set of regulatory rules and broadcasting, that's fine too, but then impose those same rules on everyone else. That's very helpful. We had Jordan Bitto from Torstar mm -hmm. here a couple of months ago and, and he shared a similar, similar perspective. Um, thank you audience for your questions. Uh, that's, that's pretty much powered our discussion um, thus far. I have, uh, I have one final question yeah. for you before we close, uh, Mirko, and I think, it'll be, I think it'll be an audience favorite. Um, will Bell sign on with Rogers to bring cell service to the TTC? Can, can, I answer the, can I answer that question with a question, maybe? The question, I mean, I appreciate the question. It's very topical. It's a sensitive issue. By the way, this is an example. You know, millions of, of, of riders or commuters on the TTC. That, that's, that's kind of a public good. In, 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 that's the kind of thing that you actually ought to focus regulatory attention on. Just like we own millions and millions of telephone poles uh, across the country, and we're mandated to give access to those telephone poles to anybody who wants to build their own network, which kind of makes sense because you don't want you know, five telephone poles in the same place every, all over the country. So that's a public good. I think the TTC uh, fits that, that bill. So um, it, um, it ought to be viewed that in, those, uh, in that way. But, but I would rephrase the question, which is, which is you know, will Bell sign on? The question is, well, why won't Rogers, why won't Rogers indicate that it will let others sign on? Will it or won't it? If so, what will be the terms? Um, when? To the current infrastructure that's in the TTC or to 5G when it's ultimately built? Like these, these are built. These are the fundamental questions that actually should be asked and the onus ought to be on them. Now our minister, Minister um, Champagne of Innovation, Science and Economic Development, so the federal minister, decided to weigh in on this and wrote a letter to all the CEOs saying, get your acts together, come on, and made the letter public. 
and uh, nothing's happened. We've asked all these questions that I kind of blurted out of, of our, uh, of our uh, colleagues at uh, Rogers, and we have no response. So the minister's now kind of weighed in. He ought to finish the job and, and mandate access. Well, we have a fall season coming up, so we'd be glad to have both you and Tony back on <laughs> stage and, 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 get to that, uh, and get to that answer. Well, um, Mirko, thank you so much for Thanks, spending Joe. a few moments of your time with us today. It's extremely valuable, and we appreciate it enormously. At, at this moment in time, I would like to welcome uh, Nicolas Marcoux, President, uh, and, uh, sorry, CEO and Senior Partner of PwC Canada, to uh, offer some thanks. Well, thank you, Mirko, for sharing your valuable perspective and insights on such a critical issue for our country. Your leadership in working to reduce disparities through network technology is truly inspiring. Like Bell, at PwC Canada, we strongly believe in creating equal opportunity for all Canadians. Bridging the digital divide will ensure all Canadians prosper. And that's when we'll unlock the full potential of our country. As we reflect on the insights that you shared with us today, we're reminded that collaboration is key to achieving our common goals. By working together with businesses, government entities, and communities, we can ensure that no Canadian is left behind. So let's carry forward today's discussion and consider the role we each play in creating a more equitable and prosperous future for all. Merci beaucoup, Mirko. And I think you deserve a standing ovation before I, I pass it back to Troy. <laughs> Merci, Nicolas. Uh, that was fantastic and, and so appropriate. Um, it's so important to have partners like PwC, RBC Capital Markets, and EY to support our mission here at the Canadian Club, and we are incredibly appreciative of your role in bringing a conversation like this to life. Thank you to all. Uh, members and guests, before we conclude, let me briefly share some uh, information about our upcoming events. Uh, next week here at the Canadian Club Toronto, we will be hosting Count Them Four events and an event tomorrow evening as well. Uh, among them on, are on Tuesday, June 6th, we welcome the U United States Ambassador to Canada, Mr. David Cohen, who will be joining us at this podium. And on June 8th, we have a stellar panel discussion on the future of energy in Canada and how Indigenous communities and leaders will help lead the way. Please visit us at CanadianClub.org where you'll find out more about these events and others, as well as membership options. Uh, Mirko, a final thanks to you and the Bell Canada team for joining us today. It's been fantastic to have you. Members and guests, um, uh, good luck, have a great afternoon, and look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. Thanks, Joe. Good. Great. Great.